Uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. I want to speak uh, just a few minutes this morning on the legacy of a man of God. As you're finding your place there in Colossians chapter 3, as we, we stand together, let me say a big thanks to Pastor Ben. I appreciate him and, and Jeff and our team and all of those who serve in so many different ways here at Trinity. Uh, toward the end of last week, got a call from a dear friend, uh, Terry Meeks over at Cornerstone, having some pretty serious health problems, and we want to remember him in our prayers. But uh, and his associate was not going to be available. He said, you think you could come preach for me and allow your associate to uh, jump in and preach for you. I said, well, that probably would not only be a blessing to my associate, but be a blessing to our congregation as well. So um, I, I knew that things would be in great hands. I missed you, but uh, uh, so grateful that our church in so many different ways, whether it's in the Dominican Republic or Bainbridge, Georgia, uh, or Hartwell, Georgia, or wherever it may be, that we have an opportunity to impact people with the, the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, if you found your place now, in Colossians chapter 3, we're going to begin reading with verse 18 as it talks about the Christian home. It begins by saying, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but Insincerity, sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Father, we thank you that in your word, not only do we find that you ordained the church, but before you ever establish the church, you sanctioned the home as the centerpiece of civilization. And uh, Lord, you place within homes a father to lead according to the word of God and with the love of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would speak to us this morning about how we can leave a legacy when we leave this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I want to talk to you this morning about the legacy of a man of God, the legacy of a man of God. Now, we speak often of the responsibility of a father or, or a husband or a man of God in the world, and we can't deny the fact that none of us would be who we are apart from the women in our lives, but I kind of got to pick on moms a little bit back on Mother's Day, so I guess it's dad's turn. As a matter of fact, dads, we wouldn't be where we are apart from the women in our lives. A little girl around the breakfast table said, Daddy, you're the boss of the family, right? The dad kind of chuckled and smiled and said, well, I guess you could kind of look at it that way. And then the little girl smiled again and said, Daddy, when did mom put you in charge? Sometimes dads are able to do what they're able to do because they're blessed with a good woman. We'll touch on that in this passage this morning as well. Sometimes we don't know what we would do if we had to step up and do everything. If we didn't have the help of our wives, uh, a woman gave her husband a grocery list because she was sick and he had never prepared a meal or bought groceries or anything. He just thought that 
was something that uh, his wife could do and that he was totally incapable. Now, I don't know about you men. I go to the grocery store uh, quite frequently. It just takes me about an hour and a half to find a dozen things. But uh, this particular man, his wife made him out a list. She says, I'm only sending you for these seven things. And she had numbered them one through seven. And so when dad got home, his daughter tells the story this way. Dad brought home, exactly according to the list, one bag of sugar, two dozen eggs, three hams, four boxes of detergent, five boxes of crackers, six eggplants, and he brought home seven green peppers. Uh, Men, we have to admit that we're sometimes lost when it comes to, to certain things, so we thank God for the women God has placed in our life. The truth is, in the world today, it's not easy to be a dad. It's not easy to be a father. It's not easy to be a parent. It's not easy to be a husband. It's not easy to be a man of God. And all of us want to leave this world different than we found it. All of us want to have a legacy, and I don't think that that is necessarily a selfish thing or in any way anti-biblical. We want to leave a legacy, an imprint on this world When we leave this world, whether they remember our name or not, we want to know that we've made a difference. Now, it's not easy to leave a legacy in the midst of adversity. Uh, This morning, I was reading a a book that my kids gave me for Father's Day on leadership, and I read the particular story uh, that Tom Landry tells of coaching a particular individual by the name of Roger Staubach. Some of you remember Roger Staubach. I remember cheering for him in uh, a couple of Super Bowls. I remember cheering for him even against the Pittsburgh Steelers in a game that he lost, but uh, I was a big fan of Roger Staubach back in the day. I remember him playing with the broke finger and leading his team to a comeback and, and all of those things uh, back in his heroic comebacks. And, and Tom Landry explains it this way. He said, what made him a hero? What made him a great leader? is the fact that he often led his team from behind in what seemed to be no-win situations. And I thought about that as I thought about this text this morning. It's often in times of adversity that legacies are made. Legacies aren't made when everything's going wonderful. Think of those who have left a legacy whose names we do remember. People like George Washington or Abraham Lincoln. Maybe names like Winston Churchill, maybe other great national leaders, whether they were political leaders, maybe religious leaders, most of the time their legacies are formed in the midst of adversity. And why, why is that important? Because today we live more than ever in a day where we are going against the grain, where we are facing adversity. If we seek to be a man of God and leave a legacy in this world, we're going against almost everything that this world stands for. And so how can we do that? How can we leave a legacy according to this text? And the first thing I want you to understand, dads, when it comes to the legacy that we can leave is your impact begins in the home. Your impact begins in the home. Now, verse 18, it begins by speaking originally here to the wives, as it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting uh, fitting in the Lord. The most important relationship a man has is with his 
wife outside of his relationship with God. And we'll, we'll come to that in the conclusion of this text. But the more, most important relationship is that relationship that a man has with his wife. Submission here, as is fitting into the Lord, is talking about coming under the spiritual leadership of your husband. And men, we can talk all about the responsibility of a woman to submit. We'll save that sermon and that message for another day. Here, I want us to understand on this day that that also speaks to the responsibility men have to be the priest in the home and to be God's man and to be that spiritual leader. It speaks nothing of importance and value overall in the kingdom of God because God created them male and female in his image. Men and women are equal in standing before God, equal in salvation, equal in standing in every way as far as their value and their worth before God. But that doesn't mean we're the same, which is what the world is trying to teach today. We're all the same anyway. doesn't really matter if a man marries a man or a woman marries a woman anymore. It's what the world says. But God says, no, I've made you different, and I've given you different responsibilities, different roles. doesn't mean one's more important than the other. I would argue that my wife is more important to my family than I am. But we're different, and men are called by God to be those spiritual leaders. When we got on the airplane when we were flying uh, on the various trips. Don't you love to fly? Uh, Some of you are like, no, not me. I don't want to get on the airplane. When we got on the airplane, there was at no point that I felt that for our team to have a successful mission trip, that that pilot was more valuable to the team than me or any member of the team. But when we got on that airplane, I understood that he had a role and a responsibility. He had to pilot that plane, get us off of the ground, safely through the air, and safely back onto the runway. Now, there was one point I was a little bit nervous. As a matter of fact, every time we hit turbulence, I seem to be in the bathroom. I don't know why that happens. But we're getting ready to fly back into Atlanta, and he decides he's going to get through the storm clouds as quick as he possibly can, and there's turbulence, and you can ask Kent, the the, the trim on the uh, luggage compartment was falling down behind us, and everything, I'd come out of the bathroom where I'd been. It's kind of it's a different story when you're having turbulence anyway. But and, and I came back, we were on the back row. Kent and I were on the back row. I look over and he's like, this is cool, man. The plane's just, I thought, man, it's shaking apart back here. And, um, but at no point did I say, you know what, I don't think that guy knows what he's doing. See, he had a responsibility. At no point did I think, you know what, I think I'll just take over. And so, women, I would want to encourage you. There might be times that the journey gets a little bit shaky, that that there might be times you get a little bit nervous, but let your husband be that pilot to lead the family. Men, take that as a serious responsibility. And it goes on to say, and, and by the way, this is how you earn that leadership in verse 19. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be bitter toward them. Ephesians 5.25 puts it this way. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for them. God has called us to pilot our families safely through the turbulence of this life in this world, and we need the cooperation and teamwork of our families. A good wife, Psalm 18 verse 22 says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And so that's got to be the most important relationship. So he begins here by talking about the wife and the husband being in a solid relationship with one with another. 
And so if we're going to leave a lasting legacy, men, it begins in the home, and the most important relationship a man has is his relationship with his wife. You, you, some of you might have heard before and even said yourself, no, 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 the kids have to come first. No matter what, no matter what we go through, no matter, how, no matter how much turbulence we face in this life, the kids have to come first. Here's what I've discovered. If you put your kids first, they're going to be more insecure than if you put one another first. Kids find more security in knowing that mom and dad are loving each other than they do in knowing that mom and dad loves them more than anything else. And so make that the number one relationship in the home. First Peter 3, 7 men says, live with your wives in an understanding way. It doesn't say figure them out, but live in an understanding way, giving honor to them as to the weaker vessel, as often pointed out before, that word weaker vessel isn't just talking about the fact that women are are physically weaker than men. I, every now and then I meet a couple and I think the wife could probably whoop the husband. But it's not just talking about physically weaker there. What it's talking about is, is it, her makeup, her, her emotional makeup, everything about her. She is more fragile. Men are kind of like the, the, the $2 plastic coffee mugs that won't break, and women are like the fine china teacups. They can break. Doesn't mean that, that they're less valuable, right? They're very valuable, very precious And so he says, dwell with them in an understanding way. Verse 20, then he begins to speak to the children. Remember, kids, there's got to be teamwork in this thing called family if if, uh, we're going to leave a lasting legacy. Children, he says, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. The precious cargo on this plane as we, we, we journey through life are often the children Eventually, eventually those kids, something buzzing around me. <laughs> He's gone, right? <laughs> Anybody see a wasp on me? Okay. Highly allergic here, so if you see, you see him fly around me, just say, hey, he's right there. You know, if you come up and slap me, we'll be all right, right? Um, all right, back, where were we? Verse 20, children, the precious cargo on the plane, right? They're called to obey. The authority has probably been called into question. The authority in the home has probably been called into question, again, more than any time in at least my lifetime. Uh, Children are almost taught from birth now. Well, question everything your parents teach. Question everything that your parents do. Often because as parents, we are authoritarians, not leaders. And by that, I mean we're often striving for outward confirmation, not inward transformation that comes from, as I mentioned the book uh, by Patrick Morley and David Delk a little bit earlier, where he talks about shepherding the heart. We often, we try to pastor, we try to train our, our, our kids almost like we would train a dog or train animals we try to get them to conform outwardly without shepherding their heart, and, and we wonder why it doesn't last. And, and so uh, I want to encourage you men to read this book, but let me just share just a little bit uh, of what the authors have to say. Too many Christian dads can th- concern themselves primarily with how their children perform. As long as their children perform well, 
doing okay in school, looking clean cut, saying please and thank you. The fathers believe everything's fine. Yet the Bible says man looks at outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So, 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 so many times, men, we want to see the children are acting properly outwardly, but we don't get to the heart of the matter. He gives an illustration on the next page. Rebecca was getting unsatisfactory grades in school. Rebecca, her dad said, if you get all A's and B's on your next report card, I'll buy you that CD player you've been wanting. Guess what? Rebecca got all A's and B's. Her dad, with a sense of self-congratulation, happily took Rebecca shopping for a new CD player. The next term, though, she came back with two C's and a D. What's wrong with this picture? He talked about the fact that we reward and we punish based on everything outward, but we often don't get to the heart of the matter. We deal with what and we don't deal with why. And so we get them through middle school and we get them through high school and we send them off to college and we wonder why the outward conformity eventually fades away. And and he, he sort of sets up the rest of the book and you can read the book on your own, but let me give you this quick outline. As he compares fathering for performance when they're children and teens versus fathering the heart. Fathering for performance emphasizes conformity. Fathering the heart emphasizes transformation. Performance is an atmosphere of fear. Fathering the heart is an atmosphere of safety. Fathering for performance is parental control. We've got to control them. Fathering the heart is freedom within boundaries. Fathering for performance focuses on present performance, but fathering the heart focuses on future development. Performance equals playing a role. Fathering the heart means being authentic. Fathering for performance is coming down on our children. Fathering the heart is coming alongside our children. Fathering for performance is surface interaction. Fathering the heart is true communication. Fathering for performance assumes the worst about our kids. Fathering the heart believes the best for our kids. Fathering performance is maintaining the status quo. Fathering the heart leads to growth and change. Fathering for performance uses people like a business relationship. Fathering the heart leads to intimacy and vulnerability. See, the behavior will last for a while when we father for performance, but it may change a life for a lifetime when we shepherd the heart. The behavior, outward confirmation is not merely what we're after. We're after life change. And I don't know about you, but I look at this generation, I look at the world in which we live in, and here's a trend that's become very, very discouraging for me in the church. Pastor Ben, I see kids come up through children's ministry and student ministry, and I see them get on fire for God and live for Him, and their parents are so excited because they're not on drugs and involved in physical intimacy and things like that. And then these kids go off to college. And here's the trend. I don't see a passion for God. I begin to see them justify. It's almost like from age 18 until we get married, we can be sexually promiscuous, We can get involved in drinking. We can do whatever. We get involved in all kinds of behaviors. And then maybe, there's a small chance, just maybe 
when we get married, we'll slip back into the church. We'll say that, well, everything we were involved in, that was wrong. But now we're married, and we're going to have children, and we're going to start living for God again. Zach, I'm looking for college students, and I know that you guys are too. I'm looking for college students who will say, you know what? I'm not going to use that period from age 18 to 25 to check out on God. I want to see them living pure, living holy, and saying, listen, I know the rest of the world is living one way, and they check out on God until they get married, and then they might come back into the, the, the fold. But dads, I want to see us shape the heart in such a way that God just didn't have the kids live in a certain way outwardly to make mom and dad look good through those middle school and high school years, but when they go off to college, that they are passionately in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, that they're holding on to their purity because God has changed them from the inside out, that, that we can see them standing for Christ even when they have their own independence, when they're out on their own. Your impact, Dad, begins in the home. Secondly, your influence continues with your hard work. Your influence continues with your hard work. Now, verse 22 addresses bond servants. Some translations may say bond slaves or just servants. Obey in all things the masters according to the flesh, not with thy service as men pleasers. There were two classes, basically, in the Roman Empire. There were the, uh, there were the, the business owners, those who, who had servants, and there, there, there were those who were servants. There were, on occasion, uh, those who were business owners and free men that did not have anybody working for them, but most folks either had people working for them or they were working for somebody else. And in no way does the Scripture ever endorse the kind of slavery that we see in the world today. As a matter of fact, when uh, Paul is writing to Philemon about Onesimus who has run away and he's sending Onesimus back to be his servant again and to restore the relationship, he said, don't treat him like a slave. This is something for those of you who have a business and people work for you. He said, don't treat him like a slave. Treat him like a brother. So if you do own a business, if you do have people who work for you, or maybe you are a supervisor of some kind, people work under your leadership. Treat them as brothers and sisters. But what he's dealing here with, I think for the family and for all in the home, is a work ethic. Hard work, not eye service. Not saying, what can I get away with or how little can I do? It's out of, he says, sincerity of heart. In other words, men, if we're going to leave a legacy, it starts in the home, but, but we have a responsibility, we have a career, we have a vocation, we have a calling of God on our life to work somewhere, and we're to treat that as a calling from God. Ask God, how can you be glorified in my work? Not cheating, not cutting corners, but bringing glory to you. Uh, Chuck Colson, many of you know the story of Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson compromised his own integrity when he was working for the Nixon administration, spent time in prison as a result of his own loyalty to President Nixon. And after that, uh, by the way, God saved him. God radically changed Chuck Colson. He became one of the greatest, strongest Christian apologists and political influencers in the Christian, all of Christendom in, in the past 50 years or so. Chuck Colson was speaking at a military base in North Carolina and uh, shared a little bit about some of the decisions and consequences 
And one of the soldiers, when there was an opportunity for questions, asked Chuck Colson, well, if we're to value loyalty and value integrity, which one is more important, loyalty or integrity? And Chuck Colson, without hesitating, said, integrity. Your integrity in your work is more important than loyalty. That will not be necessarily celebrated by people when there are whistleblowers on the IRS and things that have taken place like that recently. But integrity is more important than loyalty because our integrity is loyalty to God. When we maintain our integrity, we're being loyal to our Creator. Some of the challenges, according to Leadership Magazine, to integrity in the workplace. Leadership Magazine lists four major challenges to integrity in the workplace. They say number one is manipulation. Manipulation, get whatever you can get done by intimidating others. If you can just get others to fear you, if you can intimidate others, you can accomplish things. That's a compromise of integrity. The second one is spin. Make the numbers look good. Make the product appear better than it really is. That's a lack of integrity. The third one is inappropriate behavior. Use lies or sinful behavior to get whatever you can get accomplished. Maybe even simple relationships. And then the fourth one is self-promotion. It's not being about the greater good of the organization that you work for, but making sure you get what's coming your way and that you climb the ladder. And we have, live in such a, an entitlement society that everybody now uh, sees themselves as the, the greater good of the organization they're working with and working for. It's about, can I get what's coming to me rather than can I make the organization better? But those are four challenges to integrity in the workplace. Your influence continues by being a man of hard work, working with integrity as unto the Lord in the workplace. And then, as I said before, the most important relationship is our relationship with God. So, so there's the impact in the home. There's the influence that continues in our vocation or calling wherever God places us. And, and men often look, as Robert Lewis says, in those two mirrors, the workplace, our career, our vocation, and our families. We, we often look in those two mirrors to see what kind of legacy we're leaving. But more important than all of that is our relationship with God. And, and so my third and final point this morning is your intensity, the passion with which you live must come from your heart from God. It must come from your heart from God. Verse 23, this is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. And whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. That ability to passionately focus on giving your best to your home, giving your best to your wife, giving your best to your kids, giving your best to your work comes out of your relationship with God. And that's why that relationship transcends the others. He says, whatever, in verse 23, which really means whatever, everything that you do. And so we can apply this to, to our work and our family and sports and recreation, everything we do. If, if, you're gonna, if something's worth doing, and this is a famous statement by many dads, right? If it's worth doing, it's worth doing right or worth doing well. It's worth doing with all of your heart. But let's not forget the context. The context in this particular passage here is the context of the home. 
whatever you do, as you're leading and loving your family, as you, as you go to work on a daily basis, give it all you've got. Remember who ultimately rewards you, verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Now, Dad, it's wonderful to get a, in my case, I love to get another book or a shirt. Some of you are like, man, I'm ready for another tie. Some dads, you know not to get your dad a tie because he's never going to wear a tie unless there's a funeral. We love to get a little pat on the back every now and then. Moms, the same is true on Mother's Day. But, but dads, if you're looking for this world to reward you for being a godly man, it's probably not going to happen. Our reward is not going to be in this world. I, I was reminded this week of the story that uh, Jeff Garrison shared with us I guess when we were on the mission trip, I think he actually he concluded one of the messages that was preached with this story. It was a story that originally Ray Stedman told of a missionary couple that had been serving in Africa. And as they were wrapping up their time in Africa, packing up, getting ready to leave on the ship, uh, Teddy Roosevelt came to Africa. And when Teddy Roosevelt came, he went on an African safari to kill uh, you know, wild African game. And he was going to be on the same ship coming back to New York as this missionary couple. And so they noticed that there was a lot of pomp and circumstance and everything that was on the ship. Everybody was celebrating the fact that Teddy Roosevelt had had a successful hunt there in Africa on his African safari. And now they're headed back to New York and and all the attention is given to Teddy Roosevelt. They arrive in New York Harbor. Eventually the ship docks. There is a band there to greet Teddy Roosevelt. This missionary couple had basically spent their life savings. They had nothing. As a matter of fact, they were not going to have a retirement. They had to look for a flat there in New York City. They had to find a place to live, find some kind of work to do in their old age. And this missionary husband got a little bit bitter. He got a little bit frustrated. He said, I can't believe we spent all of those years in Africa And when we get back home, there's not even somebody from the missionary society to greet us. There's not churches there. There's no instruments playing. Teddy Roosevelt goes on an African safari, and when he comes back, they throw him a grand celebration. He was bitter. He was frustrated about all this, and his wife told him, why don't you just go in the bedroom and pray about it for a little while? When he came back from time with God, he began singing praises, saying hallelujah, thank the Lord for what he's done in our life. And his wife said, what's changed? He said, oh, I began to show my frustrations. I began to to share with God how disappointed I was that when Teddy Roosevelt came back home from an African safari, safari, they threw a big party for him. And we came back home and there was nothing. Nobody celebrating what we had done. And then she said, well, what did God have to say about that? He said, well, God said, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. Men, this world may not throw a party to celebrate you being a man of God. As a matter of fact, if you 
lead your family according to the scriptures, this world may curse you, say all kinds of evil about you. But we're not home yet. And, and I honestly don't want to live my life for the applause of this world. I want to live my life for the applause of heaven. When it comes to my family and the calling God has placed on my life vocationally, when it comes to serving the Lord with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength, I want to hear the well done of God when I stand before him one day. And that will be enough. Well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, I'm so grateful for the accolades and encouragement we get in this life. I don't deserve for my wife and my kids to love on me the way they do, to encourage me the way they do, to, to be excited to be a part of the life God has called me to because he's called them to be a part of that as well. I don't deserve all that, and I'm so grateful for it, but ultimately, ultimately the reward is when we get home. And dads, it will be worth it all. Would you bow your heads with me?